Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. We live in a world of fees. Airlines, hotels, food delivery, and especially car dealers all charge excessive last-minute fees. When you want something badly enough, it feels like your only choice is to pay up. But what if you had a choice to take a stand instead? At Carvana, we believe in treating you better. With zero hidden fees, you can drive off without feeling ripped off. That's what it means to live fearlessly with Carvana. It's that little chico pit boom, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken and you know, that's fire. Now, Bobo, you know that you could get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on negative to positive, we always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how our life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. I'm Corey Jandro, and this is Comic Book Shop, and we are here at Golden Apple Comics in the heart of Hollywood, right on Melrose, and we are about to be joined by David Harbour, yes, Hellboy himself. Wow, it's brutal. I love it. Right? Like it's- yeah, I love brutality. I, I apparently will be in the new uh, standalone Black Widow Marvel movie, which I'm very excited about. Wow, that's beautiful. It is time for some sweet, sweet comic book shopping. On Movie Talk today, we are covering a new Dark Phoenix trailer and early box office projections. On top of that, we've got some Suicide Squad casting to tell you about. And then, $6 billion man finally has another director. But is that a guarantee that movie is ever going to happen? We're going to get into it on today's show with Jeff Snyder and Jay Washington. Nice gloves. Do you want to show them off to the crowd? It's day, guys. (laughs) I got them in my new unboxing video, which was a first for me today. Really? I'm probably not going to make a video for mine, but you could probably find a photo of Dewey sitting on my glass box when I get home today. Jay, how is life? Welcome back. Thank you. I'm here. I'm happy. I'm going to just smile. Did you make it back from Chicago safe and sound? Yeah, my flight wasn't as bad as everybody else. I left on Monday, which I was scheduled to. Hmm. I just had a layover in Denver that took a couple extra hours. That was it. Not bad. I'm here. Now I got to get back on a plane tomorrow. (laughs) Go to Salt Lake City. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Not not a bad reason to be traveling a lot, though. I just want to (laughs) sleep. Soon enough. You got to work for it. All right. First story today is the Dark Phoenix story. So first up, we did get the final trailer for the movie. Then on top of that, we have Box Office Pro reporting some early projections for the movie opening weekend. And the outlet is claiming that it's got an opening weekend range of 40 to 55 million dollars. And what they settled on for their charts right now is the number 
$47 million. But before we get into box office, Jay, I want to know what you think about this final trailer. Did this do anything to make you just a little more excited for Dark Phoenix? Absol- I know it. Absolutely <laughs> not. No. I, I, you know, everybody's like, oh, I like the trailer. I don't because for me it's X-Men The Last Stand done all over again. We keep seeing the same story. And then this whole big tease of who is Jessica Chastain, I'm really starting to believe she's just the, an embodiment of the Phoenix Force because she's not Lelandra. Lelandra, she's not from the Shi'ar. It's just, and then we have to see the scene of Quicksilver doing the run on something. Like, that's a, that's a, t- it's got to be in every film now, which this is the last one, but I'm not excited about it. I'm not. X Men Apocalypse took away anything I would have going forward. Like any type of hope or any heart. And I'm just like, all right, let's get this over with so we can reboot this. That's literally how I feel. I don't know if I'm that turned (laughs) off yet. I can't say I'm excited. I'm definitely not thrilled to run to the theater and see Dark Phoenix. But I didn't think this trailer was the worst thing in the world. But I'm wondering if my opinion at this point is completely colored by the fact that it does feel like, you know, they're kind of just throwing it away. They're releasing it because they have to. And then we're moving on. And I think that that is also what my lack of interest stems from, too, is the fact that this is it for this franchise going forward yeah. in the future none of this really matters but also and also that too but there is this is a sequel to a film and none of it looks like it follows up now we're seeing in this trailer how she gets the phoenix force but she has it in apocalypse and it's like wait what now we have new suits when at the end of apocalypse they finally had comic book accurate suits it's like what are y'all doing so that's why I'm so, so turned off about it, because they don't know what they want to do. Like you said, it's just like, hey, let's put this out, make this money off of it, call it a day. Is that what you think this is, Jeff? Just put it out and get the money and run away? I don't think so, Like because, I mean, this was this was going to go out through Fox before the Disney merger. Like, I think it... Like I just don't understand. Like the now that it's at Disney, they're just trying to like burn it and and get to like the real X Men movies. You know, um, I don't think that's necessarily what the executives there are thinking. It's just like it's almost difficult to interpret it any other way from our position. Mm-hmm. I listen. I I think that the movie uh, looks okay. I, I I like this trailer. I saw this at CinemaCon. Um, yeah, I'd rather see this than Avengers Endgame. As far as wow. like end, ending chapters okay. to uh, comic book franchises wait, go, wait, wait, you'd rather if see, you so choose, you'd rather see this. You'd rather see something that has had a rocky foundation all the way through the X Men films than something that's built up for twenty two movies over ten years. We've had twenty films, twenty years worth of film for the X Men franchise. This is the end of it. But you'd rather see this. All right, Jeff. Well, this is this is the end of what started with First Class, right? This is the end of it all. But, yeah, it's what started with first class. And Which, technically, we retconned yeah. it supposedly with Days of Future Past. Well, I didn't like Days of Future Past, and I definitely didn't like Apocalypse. But I, I was a big first class guy, and I do want to see those characters given a, a proper send-off. And I like just how dark it looks. Okay. Yeah, to, yeah, I mean, seriously, to each his own. If that's the movie you're looking forward to more, good on you, and I hope you wind up enjoying it. And it's going to be interesting to see if everybody out there winds up enjoying it and how that changes the tone of the conversation. Because these box office projections, we talk about this all the time, box office projections, they're early and they change from week to week, especially when reviews start to come in. That's when we're going to see the numbers either drop or climb that $47 million amount though, Jeff, do you think that that is a number that is going to make Disney happy with this or does that number not even matter to them? 
I, I don't think it it would necessarily make them happy because they're not used to uh, seeing those kind of numbers on their superhero movies. I don't think it matters because they feel like they didn't make it. You know, like if this was something that they made, they might be a little down and mm-hmm. depressed that, that they, you know, the best that they could do was 47. Uh, I, I think, it, you know, they, they bought Fox and they bought what they bought to, to get, you know, like rights to future rights to these characters. It's not about the movies that sort of came along in the deal. Uh, so 47 would definitely be a, a franchise low, I believe. I think, I think so, 50, yes. 55 is, is the lowest that it's been yes. before, that, possibly for first class. Uh, the, um, the lowest opening is for the, the Wolverine. Wolverine with $53.1 oh, okay. million. So dollars. But I mean, it, it jumps up. X-Men, the first X-Men had $54 million, and then X-Men first class was $55 million. I, I think that just what you said right there, all those numbers, 53, 54, 55, that's sort of the sweet spot for this franchise, and I would expect uh, this film's opening to hit around there, too. Mm-hmm. But would you expect that without the promotion and the marketing behind it? They're going to get that, though. Yeah. What do you mean? You think they're going to get that the, the blockbuster-type marketing that all the other X-Men films were getting with with Fox alone? You think Disney's going to put that type of marketing I think it's the behind? biggest thing that they're getting from Fox, right? This is like the biggest movie, besides maybe the Avatar sequels. So, uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, I know that they have a lot to promote because they've got Aladdin yeah, before this. Yeah. They've got Toy Story Ly- 4 Lion after King, it. Everything. So, so you're right. Listen, their, their marketing priorities may be elsewhere, but I, I don't think that they're just going to like abandon this and, and, and give it a, a crap release and and drop it into theaters without any fanfare. They're going to spend. I think they're going to spend, but I don't think they're going to spend what we're used to Disney spending on any of their films. Not Disney, but I do wonder how maybe even, you know, let's say a B-tier Disney marketing campaign mm. would compare to the best of the best from Fox. Yeah. I mean, they do have a really significant marketing department. We've seen them push things so hardcore before. I do think that they're going to get what they need and, I mean, really what they deserve for not just the big headliners, but hundreds of people having worked on this movie, yeah. I'm just a little curious to see what happens when the press day rolls around and who winds up being in those rooms promoting this movie. It I'm just very curious. I, I'm curious I'm to know sure. what, the, what, the, uh, what the people involved, the, the cast, are thinking at this point. I, I don't know. The only the only you know downside to this trailer is I, I just think this film and all these superhero movies rely too much on these glowing lights and flashing bright cosmic lights. It's like it's enough already. I, I guess I they like my superhero movies that, grounded. Batman doesn't rely on glowing lights. Th- that's why Batman's better than all, all these franchises and well, properties. That's the benefit of the time we're in right now. When you think about what we're getting this year and you get something like Avengers Endgame and then later in the year we have something completely different with the Joker movie. Yep. yep. I'll take it. A whole bunch of variety makes everybody at this table happy. All right, we're going to move on to our next story right now, which is another superhero story slash, I don't know, anti-hero, villain story, whatever you want to call <laughs> Worst it. heroes ever. We've got an update on the new Suicide Squad movie, and Variety is reporting that John Cena is now being eyed for a role in the film. Just to recap a little bit for you, Warner Brothers is approaching this not as a sequel, but as a reboot of sorts. Idris Elba was cast in the film in March, and now we know that he is playing a new character, not Deadshot. On top of that, Margot Robbie is expected to return as Harley Quinn, as is Jai Courtney as Captain Boomerang, and Viola Davis as Amanda Waller as well. According to Variety, Cena is up for the role of Peacemaker, the part that was originally offered to Dave Batista. Before we even dig into that, Jay, give us a little Peacemaker 101. So Christopher Smith is a guy who believes in using force to bring forth peace. And the reason being, his daddy was a Nazi. So that's his mentality behind it. Yeah, yeah. Listen exactly what it said. 
His father was a Nazi commander. Yes, indeed. So that's how he does that. To see Cena play this role will be interesting. But because there's so many other, there's still so many other characters. There's still Polka Dot Man coming out. There's still King Shark. You know, the rumor potentially and hopefully is that Idris Elba might be Bronze Tiger. So to see Cena play a guy who thinks that using force is peace is a good thing. I still am confused on whether this is a reboot or a sequel with everybody coming back, with the majority of people coming back from the first one. I'm still confused on that part. So we just have to see. My prediction with that part is that technically, as far as the timeline goes, it is a sequel because the events of this movie will happen after the events right. of the previous movie. I just think that they're doing reboot as though... These movie, this movie, this new one we're getting, will just not reference anything. Okay. You could basically watch this one, never have seen, seen the, the first, first Suicide Squad, and it's never going to uh, matter. I, I want Will Smith to actually come out with his Men in Black little thing and just like zap Harley Quinn and <laughs> zap Captain Boomerang, and now it's a reboot. That could even just be like a little like teaser trailer that plays before right. the movie. Or like we said before on the show, they could the originals could be dying, with the exception of Harley Quinn. You know, Amanda Waller, she'll stay because you need her. But Jai Courtney, Joel Kinnaman, they could be dying if this way you do the reboot of the squad. I, I feel like they're just cutting the cord and moving on. <laughs> I don't even think they're going to give them that kind of send off. They're just like, <laughs> yeah, just pretty much. That's it. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. Jeff, I want to get your take on John Cena jumping into this project in particular. Do you think it's a good move for him? I think so. I think it's a great move um, because, you know, there aren't a lot of marquee superheroes left for him to play. Uh, I I think um, and Suicide Squad being with James Gunn working with him with with uh, with Margot Robbie with Idris Elba like it's not all on John Cena's shoulders either like there won't the pressure won't be on him um, yeah I think the ensemble is, a, is the way to go I had hoped that he was going to play King Shark and I think Vinnie Mancuso mm-hmm. uh, th- thought the same <laughs> thing but uh, you know when when I tweeted the news I basically said this sounds like it's probably Batista's role as Peacemaker like just for I know that they're they're different as actors to us i think i actually think batista is a much better actor i think he's more versatile than john cena is but from a casting perspective they are they bring the same things to the table um and there's only a few guys who, who sort of have that size and physicality you know the rock is one of them um and it's interesting that they're going to be in the same comic book universe now uh these two former wrestlers not to jump on uh to step on jay's feet here no that was I, I was thinking about that the whole when you brought up batista and cena it's just the whole the fact that wrestlers are now making more and more wrestlers are making this transition in the films and i don't even think this is a marquee role again peacemaker is not a marquee character that's the crazy part about it he just falls in line with this you know again yeah either selva margot Robbie, all them they take the brunt of this he's just second tier in this movie and now he's trying to even though he's trying to position himself as a leading guy especially after bumblebee and everything else he's trying to position and be peacemakers just to say i'm in this universe well, it's it's like the the equivalent of Drax, really, isn't it? Yes, hmm. pretty much. Yes, but Drax ended up being a standout. Mm-hmm. No one, again, when the Guardians first came out, no one believed this movie was going to be anything because very few people had knew who the Guardians of the Galaxy were right. until you saw the film. And of course, you're like, wait, the dude from Parks and Rec is going to be the leader of it. You saw what Chris Pratt did. You hear Zoe Saldana, you're like, okay. You get Vin Diesel as a tree saying three words, going into a booth wearing stilts. That's another story. Then you get Bradley Cooper as the voice of Rocket. You're like, okay. But then Dave Batista, you're like, he's Drax. But then you see what Drax brings and you fall in love with it. And Cena could be the standout in Suicide Squad. Who this knows? Is true. We'll see. This is true. Yeah, just the idea of also James Gunn helming this 
this and it's basically a group of, you know, irreverent crazy characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing I'm most looking forward to. And I don't know Peacemaker well enough to know if he has any of these types of qualities, but I want to see Cena get weird. I want to see him just like go big and crazy because I know what he's good at already and I need to see him step outside that box ASAP. And I imagine that Batista just couldn't do this due to scheduling. Like, he's just so mm-hmm. busy. I, you know, I think I've written three or four articles about the guy in the last couple months and at the end of each of them, I'm just like, I don't know how he finds the time. So I can't imagine he like turned this down for creative reasons or you know, maybe it was surely out of loyalty to Marvel and not well, that, wanting to do the, the that's DC That's what I was going to ask you. Like now, now that, do you think that the conversation could have changed now that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is back on the table for James Gunn Right, maybe Marvel was like, listen, we, we brought James Gunn back. Can you not do this DC movie? Like, do, do you really need to do this? And maybe there was a conversation there or maybe Dave is just really super busy and can't. I would think both. I think there was a conversation. Mm -hmm. We've talked about this before on the desk. I think there was a conversation once it was told the gun was coming back. They told him, hey, look, just don't do this. We need need you here. You know, we'll figure out everything we're going to do from that. You have these other films coming out, but we need you in Marvel as Drax. So we can't afford to risk you because you lose value of Drax if he goes into the Suicide Squad. You don't lose value of James Gunn doing both. I don't know if you if you lose value. You know, I, I think maybe you could even gain uh, some I mean, value. We've seen, you know? we've seen people play characters out of multiple universes. More so recently, Josh Brolin doing both Cable and Thanos. Mm-hmm. But people aren't really referencing his Cable character. Everybody cares about him being Thanos. I think where, because... He's in the front. He's in the front with that. With Batista, if you have him being both Drax and then maybe Peacemaker, somebody that's that second tier, you get lost in that. It could create there. some confusion. Yes, yeah. no, it's a fair point. I mean, it, you can't really answer that question for sure until we see what the role winds up being. But I can definitely see you making a case for that. Yeah. Who knows? We're going to have to wait and see, but I can tell you we will likely have more Suicide Squad updates for you very soon. Now is a point in the show when I have to remind you that we take your live Twitter questions at the very end of it. We didn't have a lot of time yesterday, but we are going to save some time today, so send them on in using the hashtag #ColliderMovieTalk. All right, third story on the list right now is an update that I caught on Collider.com from the one and only Jeff Snyder. Jeff, do you want to tell us about this little bridesmaid reunion that's happening right now? Oh, yeah, it's sounds like uh, Kristen Wiig and, and Annie Mumolo, who actually got an Oscar nomination for writing uh, Bridesmaids, they've written this other script called Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar, and it's about like this, you know, the, the, these Midwestern best friends who finally take their first vacation ever to Florida, uh, where hijinks ensue, and, and they run into like this, you know, l- local guy who's trying to like kill all the townspeople. It sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, I li- I've liked what I've seen uh, in, in from Annie Mumolo. She kind of works in small mm-hmm. doses. I thought she was really funny in, in This Is 40, remember? Uh, oh, yeah, going back yeah. and forth uh, in, the, in the principal's office or whatever. Um, she hasn't you know, done a lot of big starring roles, so this seems like like the, the, the juiciest part for her. Uh, but I, I like that she'll be with Kristen Wiig, and I like the director of this project, Josh Greenbaum, mm-hmm. who did that golfing documentary, yes. uh, The Short Game, but he also did Too Funny to Fail, which was Hulu's documentary on the Dana Carvey show. It's hilarious. Uh, Farrell and McKay are producing this. Like It, it sounds like a fun comedy team, a, 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 a smart pickup for Lionsgate. I would never say no to something like this, and I do have faith. It's just, when I read that description that you sent me for I mean, whatever reason, this might be a little too much of a stretch, my mind immediately went to that movie Snatched with um, a- with uh, Amy uh, Schumer and uh, Goldie Hawn. I, maybe it's just because like that was a mother-daughter duo element. and they went on a vacation and crazy things ensue and <laughs> there were guns and people <laughs> shooting and trying to kill each other. 
I, I just want it to have... I want it to have the heart and the grounded feeling that bridesmaids have had, and I don't know if that's a fair thing to a fair piece of pressure to put on a story like this. But I just I don't want it to be like so mm. outlandish and crazy that you know when jokes don't work out, they fall slow, so flat, and it doesn't have the foundation of a good story and good characters to back it up. Yeah, that's what happened. But that'll happen if we compare it to bridesmaids. Because everybody will do that. Like, mm-hmm. oh, well, they were this in Bridesmaid, but this is another thing. And, of course, with it being Kristen Wiig, you're, you're expecting all this hilarity. You're expecting that from nonstop. And, and Annie as well. But I'm hoping we get, like, Thelma and Louise with jokes and then just the villain at the end. I just want to see something wild and crazy. Something where I completely forget Bridesmaids in a sense. You know, I don't have to look at a scene and be like, well, there's something they did in Bridesmaid. I want to see something completely different. Completely off the bat. I I think it's a good return to those sort of uh, you know rougher comedies or whatever for Kristen Wiig because she's been focused on doing all this serious stuff lately and mm-hmm. even when we have seen her in a comedy it was like Masterminds which just got burned off a of relativity <laughs> remember how bad that was um, you know like oh even, wow even, I haven't thought of I think I was signed up to do that junket for like five months yeah and even like like in Ghostbusters she's kind of playing the straight woman and isn't really allowed to let her freak flag fly mm-hmm. so I hope that this project sort of offers her that opportunity because you know an unhinged Kristen wig there's like not much better yeah no that's that's true and also i'm sure it's going to feel like a little bit of a refreshing spin after whatever she winds up doing in wonder woman 1984 <laughs> i mean right I want to see what she's bringing to that role. All we had was that one image, and it, you know, yep. it didn't look like all that much. <laughs> Everybody was like, "That's cheetah. That's so, that's cheetah." Wait. Okay. I mean, I understand they have a little bit of a ways to go. It just it feels like forever that I've been kind of picturing her in that role, and we've just got nothing remember, else. Because they pushed it back. To yeah, the summer I, I, I guess that's the reason. I just like, I want to see something <laughs> now. I think we'll get it. I, I think we'll get it this year at Comic Con. I think we'll fi- we'll finally yeah. get something for it. we got that to. seems like the right time. Yeah, the best one. <laughs> it feels like it's so far away at this point, but I know we're going to wake up in a couple of days and it's going to be like right in our faces. Wonder Woman, yeah, I guess this this pro- <laughs> I'm in Comic Con, but I'm looking oh, forward to that Comic-Con too. Comic Con too. I, I mean, you're going to get a heavy dose of Wonder Woman there. But Barb and Star has actually been in the works for a little while. I think Kristen Wiig let it slip in an interview back in December 2017, mm. um, and, and so you know Farrell and McKay have been attached to produce this uh, with Jessica Alabama via Gloria Sanchez even though they just split up, uh, Will and Adam, remember? Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is just sort of one of the old projects that they're still going to be uh, collaborating on. Oh, I mean, that must bode well for it, that even though they're going their own separate ways, this they're is something that's still keeping them together right, exactly. and worth, worth seeing through to the finish. Yeah. Hopefully that does mean this one is going to shape up well. We have one more story to hit today, and it's an update on a project that's been in the works for quite a while now. We hear that Travis Knight has signed on to direct the Mark Wahlberg. Jeez, Mark Wahlberg. Wark, Wark. I tried to spooner. I tried to spoonerism it, and it wasn't easy. Wark Malberg movie. I I did it. I got it eventually. Wark Malberg. If you do a spoonerism, okay. Wayne Washington. Okay. No. Okay. No. Nobody's nobody's with me on this today. (laughs) Anyway, there is the six billion dollar man. And Travis Knight is apparently the man who's going to direct it for Warner Brothers. Of course, the movie is based on the ABC series that aired from 1973 to 1978, starring Lee Majors as Steve Austin, a former astronaut who had superhuman strength due to bionic implants, which made him the perfect secret agent. This one has been in the works, it feels like, forever. So, Jeff, after everything this 
project has been through. Is Travis Knight the right fit? Is this finally going to get the go-ahead and happen? Yes, this feels like a fit. Uh, I definitely think Travis Knight is the right guy to do it. I still don't think that Mark Wahlberg is necessarily the, the right guy for, for $6 <laughs> billion dollar man. Uh, but, but Travis Knight is definitely an improvement over Damien Zafran. I love Damien Zafran and Wild Tales. Um, and I'm really interested in seeing what he's going to do next. But Travis Knight is hot off Bumblebee, which grossed almost half a billion dollars, which I think is better than anyone kind of expected. Um, yeah, I just think he has the right sensibility for something like this that can that you know features. I mean, he just did Bumblebee, which is about you know Transformers and robots. Six billion dollar man has, I guess, an element of that because he, he has, doesn't transform. He has though. superhuman strength and bionic parts and whatnot. Um, yeah, I'm just curious what the tone is going to be. If it's going to lean more action or lean more comedy. I've never watched Six Billion Dollar Man, so I mean, it. Oh am my I God. am I missing out on something? Like, do you see something in that material that has a hook that could maybe turn people who aren't super? I'm into surprised it, to begin it hasn't with? been done. It's taken this long to be done. Between that and the Bionic Woman, I'm I, I'm honestly surprised it's taken this long. But just to see Mark Wahlberg do this is going to be the weirdest part. I got a Bionic guy. I got annoyed. You know, things like that, whatever. <laughs> but I just that's the part that gets me. But. Mark Wahlberg has to be attached to every action movie and national mm-hmm. tragedy that happens anyway. So, hey, you get what you get. But it, it's like I said again, back to my original statement. It's surprising it took this long for this movie. We should have been had this and probably a reboot at this point. But now we're getting I, I, it. I think it was supposed to be Will Ferrell actually back in the day. This was an old Weinstein uh, company project. Uh, and, and so Bob Weinstein was involved for a while. Yeah, it, it is definitely uh, bounced around town for, for a little bit. But, Are we talking um, about a super big budget production here? As in something that at this point in time they're hoping to spawn it's a, a good, franchise. It's a good question. I'm, I'm not sure what this would cost. I imagine I would put, I would probably put this between sixty and eighty million, uh, depending on on how big the sequences are that they want to go. I guess you could make it for cheaper. Yeah, I, I think that'd be. But good. like Instant Family, Instant Family costs I think forty or forty five million dollars. You know, which was way too much for that film. And I think that given I, that I expect there to be some big action sequences sequences in this, the budget's probably bigger than that. Him running fast. As jumping high, seeing distances, hearing things. Given what you've seen Travis Knight do in uh, the Leica movies and now in Bumblebee, mm-hmm. do you think that his sensibilities as a director is what's going to bring the story to the big screen in the best possible way? If he's familiar with the material. Because I, I think it's two completely different things. It's too completely. But the public isn't familiar with the material, that, and that's a that's an issue too. Like the public has they no, can reinvent it because there's a bunch of people watching us right now, probably like, "What is the six billion dollar man?" I mean, that's where I'm coming at it from. It's it's like putting a name like Travis Knight on this project is piquing my interest more so than mm. just about anything I've heard in recent years. But when that trailer comes out, I need something special to be that one hook that makes me think, "All right, I see why this is happening now." I just want there. To, you know, you mentioned it earlier. I want their, this movie to end with or have a post credit scene where they introduce the Bionic, Bionic. Woman. And, you have and, to, and then the, the sequel is like a team-up movie, kind of like Ant-Man and the Wasp. You have to have that line, we have the technology, we can rebuild them, make them... They have, that's, that's a classic line from the 70s TV show. Granted, I'm not that old, ladies and gentlemen. I just remember when it aired, okay? But that's the classic line from it they have to have in this movie no matter what. Okay. 
All right. I will I will keep my mind open to uh, $6 billion man with Wark Malberg. All right. We are going to move on to our plugs now. So tomorrow on Collider, as always, you can expect to see Collider live in the morning and in the afternoon at 4 p.m. PT. We're back with a new episode of Collider Movie Talk. But in between, brand new episode of Jedi Council. I'm going to be on it, and I believe it's because we're talking about Star Wars Celebration. So if you want to hear more about our journey there, tune in tomorrow. All right. We got a lot of live Twitter questions to hit. And this first one that I want to discuss is about some news that broke today. And it's it's been an interesting day for Swamp Thing, and that's kind of putting it lightly. Nick Navarro is asking us, Nick Navarro 87 specifically, I know it's not about movies, but that Swamp Thing reveal, though. Also, rumors going around about DC Universe in trouble. Thoughts? Because Warner Brothers is about to get their own streaming platform. They're going to absorb that. But I think it'd be dumb for Warner to get rid of the DC shows that they're doing. Swamp Thing has been high. Every, once people heard James Wan was attached to this, everybody was waiting to see this one. Because it's a horror element. It has the voodoo and everything from Louisiana. Then when we saw the teaser, which I believe was just damage control by Warner Brothers, to drop that out to say, everybody was talking about how they halted production. And all of a sudden, Warner Brothers was like, here's the teaser trailer. Here's how he looks. Go look at this. That was just them trying to silence people. But to cut it down, it's just really sad what you hear about it. But I do think, at the end of the day, Warner Brothers is about to do their own streaming platform, like Disney. And so DC Universe will be absolved into it. Absorbed into, excuse me, and then you won't have like the DC Daily. You might have the content, but you won't have its own platform anymore. Now, unfortunately, if they cut it down and get rid of the shelves, that's going to be a loss. Is that how you see it, Jeff? Kind of is. I mean, it, it's not necessarily what we're hearing from Warner Brothers. It sounds like they're happy with the performance of the DC streaming service. It has sort of overperformed their initial projections. Um, and, you know, they have people paying for it. So, like, yeah. But I think it, it only makes sense that they would absorb it into the larger Warner Media uh, streaming platform. I don't understand how you could ask for people to pay for two, you know, separate things, really. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, Disney's not asking people to, like, pay separate amounts for the Marvel or Star Wars shows. I don't know what is, else is on. On like the Disney platform, other than Titans and Doom Patrol, like they have um, the comic stuff, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they've got I, the cartoons. Okay, yeah, and, and I think that those may be the most valuable elements, you know, for, for the plat- that platform, the most valuable assets because the shows. I've heard decent things about Doom Patrol, but you only have two shows on there. Like that, that does not a streaming service make. I mean, well, wouldn't it behoove them to continue working on these things and to beef that up before a you know you absorption? So. If that's what you think, you would think so because they have Star girl in the works with Joel McHale and all them. They have the Harley cartoon they're doing. They've just brought Young Justice back which was made a lot of people go to the service. So they have a lot that's drawing eyes that way. It's just people have to get on board with it. And I would say continue with what you have even if you do absorb it. So could the issue here just be that they're seeing footage of Swamp Thing and they're not super into it and they're saying, hey, let's cut our losses and trim it from 13 episodes to 10. Is that, that that's a possibility? Yes. That's definitely a possibility. That is how I read it too. That's yeah. That's really unfortunate. And even though I liked the vibe of that teaser trailer, you can't release a teaser trailer like that and leave me with a positive <laughs> feeling after seeing everything that happened today and knowing that all that was was damage control. That's all it was, was damage very, control. I'm a huge fan of Derek Mears. I want to see him do something really cool with that character. It's just such a bummer to get that first look hot on the heels of all this negativity today. As soon as it came out, production is halted. Warner Brothers was like, tweet this now. 
put it out now. How do people have time to watch all these shows? Uh, Well, I'll tell you how. You go easy. You sit there. Well, not even easy. What you do is you have to make time between some of any and everything you are doing. Because, again, Jeff, I watch every single TV show and movie for the Mad Titan podcast. I have a life on top of that. But it's just trying to fit it all in. I just watched. I just caught up on Flash, Arrow, and Legends of Tomorrow earlier today. Oh, my. Before I came here. That's a commitment. I have the answer for you, Jeff. You know know how I get it all done? Hmm. I have no life. No mm-hmm. life at all. Just a big entertainment bubble. That's what I live in. And you know what? I'm fine with it. All right. Next question here. Let's go with J. Scott for real, who's asking, what corrective actions should Leica take to address their diminishing box office returns? Is the medium or the marketing to blame here? This is such an interesting question because I feel like I've been shouting into the void for years where Leica keeps making these magical movies that are so above and beyond so much of what we see right now and then it just gets worse and worse with every single film and Missing Link was just such a bummer at the box office I wasn't expecting it to dip that low uh, for me, it's a, it's a concept uh, problem. It's a story problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you think Pixar, you know, you, you think Wally, the last robot on Earth. Uh, Ratatouille, it's a rat who works in a kitchen. You can't do that with Kubo and the Two Strings or the Box Trolls or Missing Link. Like, I, I just, the, the, these, are, these are fundamental problems just like on a story level where the projects never should have been greenlit in the first place, I think. So then you're saying take out all the risky, innovative storytelling, which I, I'm not saying that's the wrong answer because we're right now we're talking about what's going to make Leica a lucrative right. enemy studio, but it's I mean, it's a sad reality to hear. To take the missing link it, it, it's a weird thing because kids have to know exactly what you're talking about. You have to get kids interested in seeing it in the theater. Yeah, but it's easy to say. It's easy to say a rat. Take a rat and make them in the kitchen. Pixar to know they don't want to put out to show you. You get things like that. I mean there's no magic in the Leica movies. Yes, there is. Uh, the missing I link. Yes, I, I like trolls. you know Coraline. I didn't see Box. I didn't see You know, like those those movies aren't bad. They're decent. They're, they're, at least I went to see them. Coraline is good. I, I avoid a lot of animated movies, obviously, but uh, yeah, I don't think that they come close to having the Pixar magic. Oh, I. <sighs> Which ones? What's your favorite? One? Again, we can't. Box I don't trolls. think we can compare though. I don't think Which we should one? compare Box the trolls. Shoes. Box trolls. I love box trolls, I and and I did I think that that was the one of all of them to have the chance of maybe bridging the gap for adults looking for more challenging animated material and having something cutesy mm-hmm. like the box trolls that maybe some kids could fall in love with. And you know, granted, even with the box trolls, they go into some pretty like dark, weird places. It's just I don't want to see a brand taking risks like that just completely vanish because they didn't decide to be a carbon copy of something a little more like pop and like colorful and friendly like something and i'm not saying that pixar movies are bad by any means i think pixar has a beautiful way of kind of broadly of not necessarily broadly I think Pixar has a beautiful way of addressing certain human realities, but in a way that makes it both satisfying for adults and also kid-friendly. Yeah, but they do that, and you can't expect... If we expected for Pixar, DreamWorks, Leica, and all of them to be the same thing, there would be no reason to go see anybody else. I know. And so... (laughs) 
the risk I, I agree I get what you're saying Jeff these are different risks that people that probably shouldn't have gotten greenlit but you greenlight them because of that risk you're like let's see what happens I like like his identity as a studio and I'm glad that they're around and creating films that are different from Pixar movies or Blue Sky or DreamWorks Animation whatever it is Illumination um, I, yeah I just want to see them come up with better concepts because I, I like the stop motion I, I mean I, I think it, it's, it's very creative and imaginative and and yeah, I applaud them for taking risks, but I also think that it's hard. It's a hard sell to put into like a one sentence elevator pitch. No, it's fair. It's fair. I mean, it's just it's sad. Still to this day, one of my favorite trailers of all time is one of the ones they did for the box trolls, where the behind the scenes making of the stop motion animation bleeds into the finished animation, and it's so beautiful. And everyone should Google that and watch it now. All right, we have another question here from Rusty Matthews, who's asking, "Do you think that the MCU is setting up the Young Avengers with young Cassie Lang, Kate, Kate Bishop, Maria Rambo, and others?" I've read that Harley Keener from Iron. Iron Man 3 is in Endgame as well. They could be. I mean, they're setting up a lot. Because everybody, from when we heard about time travel, they cast an older actress to play an older Cassie. You do have Monica Rambeau, but now the problem with Monica is she's not as young as the rest of them are. Because from 1995 to now, that's 24 years, she was maybe between 8 and 10 in Captain Marvel. So that's a grown woman as opposed to a young adult. Most of those are young adults. Could they be doing it? Yes. Will they do a film? Probably not. Let it go to Disney Plus as a series. Oh, that's not a bad that'll, idea. That'll work. Because we still have, if you do Young mm-hmm. Avengers, we still have New Warriors that hasn't yet to find a home. Because that's been out there for the longest. So there's a possibility of it. I think they may introduce it. If Harley becomes somebody essential in Endgame, I wouldn't be surprised. I think we'll just see him as a reference. I don't think he'll be anybody of major importance. Given that Disney Plus is recycling all of the MCU's uh, spare parts, I think that you will see a Young Avengers, if you will, whatever they call it. Uh, I think you will see that as a series on Disney Plus. That makes a lot of sense to me. Not that I wouldn't want to see it on the big screen, but for whatever reason, when you said Disney Plus, it became a million times more appealing to me. I think it might just be because like, my mind, at least for the very beginning of what we're getting post-Endgame, is somewhat made up by what isn't necessarily officially announced, but mm. what has been revealed in the trades. And I don't see a good place for this where it consumes enough of the spotlight. So Disney Plus seems yeah, like a smart and you, move. And you can flush it out. Yeah. You don't have to rush it into a two-and-a-half-hour movie because we know it's not going to be two hours. There's no such thing as a two regular two-hour MCU movie damn near anymore. But you can flush it out over eight. It could be a limited series, or you could decide to run with it for the full... They want this, this, this platform to appeal to young kids. There are a lot of kids out there who aren't of age to have ever even seen a Marvel movie. So I think if they did a young sort of Marvel series, that could be their entry point into the MCU. Yeah, I mean, they have a lot of different ones. They have even the animated. The, they did the, uh, the next Avengers. They did the kids mm. of the Avengers. So there is precedent for it all to go forward. And if they're going to do a live action, I think it's best, like I said, Disney+. Plus. Okay. All right. We'll see what happens with that one. We have another question from Luis E. de la Pena. Oh, man. You just know how to get to me, don't you? Playing along with Neri Pemeroff's name changes. If you were a movie star, would you keep your name or change it? If so, what would it be? I feel like Jeff's going to come up with something good. <laughs> this feels like a Jeff question. No, no, no. If you were a movie star, like, would you just be Jeff Snyder or would you give yourself like a Hollywood name? 
Uh, I mean, I just use my my alias, uh, Jeff Green. That's that's my alias around town when I make reservations at Because you need that. Because who knows who's not a Jeff Snyder fan out there and may spit in my food. That's why Jeff Green, party of two. I've thought about this, and I always used to think that Nemiroff was, like, too difficult of a last Mm -hmm. name. So I'm like, I'll just cut that off and just be, like, Perry and then my middle name and just be Perry Logan. Well, that's good. That's yeah, good. that works. I feel like that's like a solid, a solid. I forgot about start that. Of yeah. name. I, could I don't be know. Jeff Scott. You could. Jeff you could. Scott. Jeff well, Scott well, works. Look, Jay Washington is already in Chirac. <laughs> he's a in great Gla- name. He's in Chirac. You can check that out on Amazon. He's in Glassjaw. You can check that on Amazon. Jay Washington is already in movies. It works on Marquis. You keep that and you continue to own it and rock <laughs> like it. All right, we got another okay. fun question here from Kieran's Matthew, who's asking everyone. Everyone is talking about who are Ray's parents. So, who would you want to be your parents from the Star Wars universe? You're basically recasting your parents right now. (laughs) (laughs) Who do we get? Well, I'm picking Leia for obvious reasons because uh, Lando she's awesome. Calrissian first of all I want to be a I want to be born of the Lando Calrissian seed and have a cloak that is passed down from generation to generation I don't know who my mother would be just yet but I'm just know my father would be smooth as Colt 45 I'm uh <laughs> <laughs> damn right I caught you I'm going, I'm going uh, Portman and Ewan McGregor Natalie Portman Ewan McGregor it's an interesting combo mom there and, mom and dad I'm definitely going Carrie Fisher, and I'm trying to come up with, like, a unique other half right now. That's what I'm thinking about, the unique other half. So, Billy, do you... I think I would go... I think I would go with Oscar Isaac, because I would hope that she would pass down her force sensitivity to me, and he would pass down his piloting skills, because my favorite piece of the score is March of the Resistance, so I'd want to swoop in on an X-Wing Perry has been waiting to call Oscar Isaac daddy for a long time. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I mean, he's mighty fine. That's okay. I'll take... I'll take Laura Dern and Billy D. Williams. That's a combo like right it. there. Look, like if, if Baron Davis can be with Laura Dern, I can be, have her as a mommy. Oh, no. Shit just got weird, and it's okay. We can have fun on this show. Baron Davis, oh, my God. Okay, let's do one more question, and we're going to do a little Twitter roulette right now because I'm just going to scroll and Twitter sit roulette. on the first thing that I see. This, this looks like it's not going to be good when she's just scrolling. No. Wait, I need to pick one that we haven't we haven't uh, addressed. Call, yeah, yeah, a person that we haven't picked just yet. Oh, um, here's one because I want to know your take on this. Twitter chef. roulette. Uh, Nick Nick uh, Leitner thirteen asks, "Hey Collider, has anyone had the pleasure of seeing Under the Silver Lake? That release pushback has had me curious. Did you see it? Are you allowed to? See- oh, oh, what a pleasure it was! Oh no! Did you see really? that? Again? I I, di- I did watch it. Uh, it is almost three hours long. It is completely indecipherable. It That's is such a bummer. It, it is a bizarre movie. It's going to be divisive. Listen, some people are going to love it, and it's going to be a cult classic, particularly among the Silver Lake set, if you will. Oh, uh, I, I can appreciate the ambition and and what David Robert Mitchell was going for, but no, this movie is a mess, and I am not surprised that it'll be on VOD in about four or five days. I'm still going to watch it, though. Yeah, check I'm it sad out. To it's hear an interesting it, yeah. Andrew Garfield performance, but it is a real head scratcher movie. It is very much like Richard Kelly's he, Southland Tales. Does he have something else lined up to direct after this? No. And do you expect, think that this could. This yeah, could I don't hurt? expect this okay. will make it easier. Okay. <laughs> oh, oh, well. I hate ending on a on a down note, but so it goes. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for joining me on today's show. As thank always, you. it is a pleasure. 
Adam in the booth back there, you know you rock. And so do you guys out there. Thank you so much for watching this edition of Movie Talk. As always, like and share it on the YouTube channel. And then go over and check us out in podcast form as well. It's fun to take us on the road and tell everybody you know to do the same as well. We will be back tomorrow, 4 p.m. PT, live with a brand new episode. Call me Mr. Glass. Hey, little Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply.